Well, good morning, church. We're back in Genesis this morning, chapter 6. As if you can tell by the picture behind me, we're talking about Noah's Ark. Yeah, we're actually thinking of doing it. It's a story that uh, we all know. Um, It's the first sermon I ever taught, as a matter of fact. Dale might remember. It was a long time ago. It's back when you and Reggie had the computer business in that place in Everett there. And we were meeting there Sundays, and I taught uh, Genesis chapters, it was either 5 through 9 or 6 through 9, I can't remember, in one Sunday. I taught four chapters in one Sunday, which today would take me like two months, <laughs> but back then, I, yeah, back then I did it in one Sunday. Anyway, so one of the uh, things that gets me a lot is that we've relegated Noah's Ark to Um, Sunday school, unfortunately, and uh, as if it were some sort of a children's fairy tale. Um, But it's far from that. There's so much that we can learn from Noah's Ark and from the story of Noah and from, you know, we learn about about covenants, we learn about uh, atonement, we learn about grace, um, we learn about salvation. There's so much we can learn from, from Noah's Ark. But we've turned it in to something else. I mean, if you go to, I mean, Sunday schools, we get, uh, we get arcs that, uh, if this works, arcs that look like this, right? Which most of us know that if that actually was the arc, it wouldn't have survived very long in the flood. It's a little, it's a little top heavy, right? But then even when people get a little more serious with their drawings uh, concerning the ark, they're still completely wrong. Because look at that, that's like a house. Like they, haven't, they didn't read the Bible at all when they drew that picture of, of the ark. But here's one, of, uh, here's one of my favorites. I actually have a puzzle of this one. This is Waisaki. He usually is known for his paintings of cats. But uh, this is one he did of Noah's ark. And it, of course, is still completely wrong. But... <laughs> Because that one actually looks like Noah could close the door himself. That's, anyway. Um, Then we have people who, of course, made arcs, right? This guy, I think this is in Denmark or Norway. I can't remember exactly. This arc, life-size, or at least, you know, built to scale, right? Um, Actually floats, completely seaworthy. And... And because he built it, pretty much, it's not exactly correct either, because it's way too big on the top there with that house that's built on the top. But um, he didn't put a motor in it, of course, but it's completely seaworthy. And he has floated this thing around, and he's gotten in trouble for it. But he wants to take it to Israel. He feels it needs to go to Israel, but he doesn't have the money to do it. He ever gets the money, he says it's going to cost a couple million dollars to have it pulled to Israel, um, you know, if he can do that, then he, he wants to do it. And then, of course, then you have the Ark Encounter, which also is closer to a more accurate representation of the Ark, but it's still not correct, uh, because it has that thing on the back, and I don't know what that is exactly, but, yeah, yeah, it could be. They needed one. Right, but this ark, that ark, of course, isn't, uh, um, it's not seaworthy. That one's not going to, right, that's a display for you to go in and take a look at. We're going to actually try and maybe next year uh, get there. But uh, a lot of those pictures that you saw, not those last couple necessarily, but like I said, they all have about one thing in common, which is the fact that they probably would have sunk during the flood. Um, But that's not the ark that, you know, that God designed. Noah's Ark shouldn't just be regulated to Sunday school stories, right? I mean, there's so much more here to learn. It's a historical truth. Noah actually built an ark. Noah actually went through an actual global flood, and it was salvation to Noah and his family, right? Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord, which means Noah was a sinner saved by grace. So let's read Genesis chapter 6, verses 9 through 22. We'll finish off chapter 6. 
Verse 9, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence, and God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits, its breadth, 50 cubits, and its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above. All right, one cubit, just in case you wanted to know how high the roof was supposed to be above the rest of the ark. And set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with a lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kind, and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing on the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and stored up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. And Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your words, and I thank you for the, the great picture that's here in the story of Noah and the flood and Noah's ark and just the faith to build the ark. So we thank you for this, Lord. We pray that you just speak this to us and work this out in our lives and show us the example here that we can follow, the great example of faith. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So what we're going to kind of do is we're going to go through it a little differently. We're going to kind of break it down into a few questions, some of the most commonly questions, common questions that people have when you talk about the ark, right? Because there's some common questions out there. And by going through these questions, we will touch on most of what's in this chapter um, concerning the ark, and then we'll finish it up with how this is all applicable to you, right? So one of the questions that's often debated or people want to know concerning the ark is how long did it take Noah to build it? Okay. Now, there's quite a few different thoughts about this. Um, and I will tell you, first of all, the ark was built sometime between the end of chapter 6 and the start of chapter 7. Okay. That's how long it took Noah to build it. And, you know, because at the end of chapter 6, it says Noah did this. Okay. Noah built an ark. Noah built an ark. And at the beginning of chapter 7, the Lord tells Noah, go into the ark. So the ark is built by the beginning of chapter 7. Now, some people will tell you because of verse 3, if you remember when we went through earlier in chapter 6, when we were talking about the Nephilim, and the Lord says in verse 3, he says, my spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh, and his days shall be 120 years. Uh, a lot of people think, well, that's when God actually gave the commandment to build the ark, and that, when God gave that, he was saying 120 years from this point is when the flood will come. So if Noah started building the ark then, right, then that's 120 years until the flood. So that took Noah maybe 120 years to build the flood. That's great, but it, that's probably not, probably not true. So then the people say, well, it took Noah 100 years to build the ark because we're introduced to Noah when he's 500, and we find that his sons were born after he was 500. And, and they entered the ark when Noah was 600, so there's 100 years, give or take took Noah 100 years to build the ark. Okay, maybe. Maybe it took... I mean, if Noah's the only one building the ark, right, then it could take a while. But we, we don't have any record of anybody helping him, even though it was probably... He probably had help, but we have no clue, right? Maybe it was like, you know, maybe like if you watch that movie, Evan Almighty, maybe his uh, wife and his kids, you know, helped him build the ark. Or the animals. The animals were carrying wood, you know, like in that movie. Anyway, but... Uh, two things I want to point out about this. When God gives the order to build the ark, you notice that he tells Noah, uh, he says in verse uh, 18, uh, but I will establish my covenant with you and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. So when God tells this to Noah, either his sons were born and his sons were married, right? Or God was being prophetic, 
There's only one of two things. His sons were already alive and they were married, or he was being prophetic and he was telling Noah, when it's time to get into the ark, three of your sons are going to go with you and those sons will have wives and those wives will come with you as well. And Noah's like, whoa, I'm going to have sons that are going to go into the ark. This is awesome, right? Because if he started the ark 120 years before the flood, his sons weren't born yet. At least those three that are mentioned, right? Because we mentioned that he probably had more sons, but we only know of the three. So, so it's either that or they were actually alive and married when God gave the order, right? So, I hate to do this, but let's do math. <laughs> it's terrible. You're going to bring math on the Sunday? No, right? Let's, the Bible tells us that, you know, that the sons were born after Noah was 500 years old. And we're going to go on the assumption that Shem was the firstborn, even though that's up for argument. Okay? You can debate that all you want. But Shem's son, um, Arpachshad, it tells us, was born two years after the flood, when Shem was 100 years old, which means Shem was born when Noah was 502 years old. So, if you do the math, and Shem was the firstborn, then, right, it, if there's, depending on when you think their sons got married, when his sons got married, that gives you somewhere around, at the earliest, okay, 80 to 70 years to build a flood, to build an ark, yeah. They didn't build the flood. Anyway, but 80 to 70 years before the flood. So how long did it take Noah to build the ark? Who knows? Right? We don't know how long it took Noah to build the ark. It could have been anywhere from 50 to 75 to 80 years. It could have been 100 years. It doesn't actually matter. Right? It's not important. What's important is, is that Noah built the ark. That's what's important. Right? But those are the things that my mind, the rabbit trails that my mind goes down when people start asking me questions like that. Right? So it doesn't matter. It took a long time. How long would it take you to build it? <laughs> Right? By yourself in your backyard. Yeah. So, now, another question that people want to know is, how big was the ark? I mean, we got the sizes, but how does that relate? Right? We haven't been to the ark encounter in Kentucky. We haven't seen the life-size ark. Right? We, we haven't looked at it to see, you know, ourselves exactly how big that thing is. If That's, that's supposed to be life-size, Right? So we haven't seen exactly how big that thing is. Here's a, here's a, uh, they actually have this. This is from the Ark Encounter, okay? Uh, let me find it here. This is a rough estimate for you, so you can get a size comparison for the Ark. So if you want to know how big the Ark was, as compared to other things that you might be aware of as far as size is concerned, right? It's bigger than the Challenger. It's longer than the SpaceX Starship. The Ark was a big boat, it's not a boat, actually. We'll get more into that in just a second. It was roughly about, well, it depends on what you think a cubit is, but, you know, it was roughly around 510 feet long. So God tells Noah, he says, I want you to build an ark, right? Now, the ark wasn't a cute little ship, as we know, as they get designed in Sunday school and stuff like that. It was more of a barge. And quite frankly, it was less of a barge and more of a chest. And you could even say it was shaped somewhat just like a wooden box or a coffin, which is an interesting way to look at it. Of course, it was ventilated. It needed to be ventilated. There were a lot of animals on the ark, right? And there was one cubit, which is roughly 18 inches, right? So depending on the cubit, and there's a lot of different cubits, and we're not going to get into that because there's Egyptian cubits and Hebrew cubits, and there's long cubits and short cubits, and there's a whole lots of different cubits. So they don't actually know the exact size of the ark, you know, but we're going to assume, just go all that a cubit is 18 inches. So the windows of the ark, the only windows, were right above the top of the ark, one cubit, 18 inches, that went the length of the ark, okay? So the kind of like that middle section you see there in the ark, it's hard to see. That's where the, the windows would be. Everything else is just flourishing. When people add all the little tails on the end and the front and all that stuff, even if, oh, there's no rudders, thank goodness, but even when people put, you know, what looks like a rudder on there, they're completely wrong, right? So, but anyway, so it was, here's the thing I want you to remember about the ark. When, when you continue, when you think about the ark, if you're ever in discussions with people about Noah's ark, because most people think it's a crazy thing to discuss anyway, because what? It's just mythological and the flood never happened and whatever. Remember this about the ark. It was a vessel that was designed for, for flotation, it was not designed for navigation, 
right? It was a big floating box. And what I mean by that is Noah didn't have a little wheel inside, right? He wasn't steering the ark. There was no sails on the ark. There was no rudder on the ark. There weren't row, they weren't rowing the ark, right? There was nothing like that. All Noah did was get on the ark. God closed the door, and then he was at mercy. He was at the mercy of God at that point because any navigation was up to God. Where the ark was going, where the ark ended up, it was all up to God. Noah had no say over the matter. All Noah did was just get in the ark. So it was a big wooden box just designed for flotation, not designed for navigation, right? So it was roughly 450 feet long, or depending on your cubit, maybe 500 and some odd feet long, by 75 feet wide, by 45 feet tall. It was like a, you know, a three-story uh, building, you know? And those are conservative numbers, because again, we, can, we get to argue about cubit sizes. But, you know, when you build an airplane, right, you have to take into, into account all kinds of different things when you design an airplane. So aerodynamically, you need to take into account thrust and lift and drag and all these different things when you design an airplane. Well, it's the same hydrodynamically hydro, uh, as well when you build a boat, right? It needs to be built right. And you need to have, you know, stable volume displacement and all this stuff. And believe it or not, the design of the ark has the most stable volume displacement you can get even in modern day, right? Because it's a ratio of six times as long as wide. And that design is the same ratio they still use today in a lot of cargo and Navy ships. Strange, it's a surprise, right? God knew how to build a boat, <laughs> right? It was perfect balance for stability, strength, and comfort. It couldn't be capsized. The ark could not be capsized, right? It self-writes, because that's how it was designed, right? It had such optimum proportions that uh, it couldn't roll over. It could be tilted up uh, any angle just short of 90 degrees, and it would immediately right itself. It's an amazing design, right? So it could handle the flood. It floated safely on the surface, as a matter of fact, as it tells us in Genesis 7, as we'll see when we get into the flood, right? So... The ark, huge boat, right? built to handle the flood, uh, built to be stable and you know, perfectly hydrodynamic in that sense, built like a big barge, more than a cute little boat. So how much could it hold? How, much animals, how many animals were on the ark, right? You know, all the little tiny creepy crawly insects, man, you get a bunch of those because they can hide in all the nooks and crannies. You know, all the mosquitoes and... You know, a couple of the dinosaurs, they may have taken larger areas. All right, anyway. So how much could the ark hold? Well, it could hold all that God wanted it to. I mean, he designed it, right? It had roughly the volume uh, of around 1,400,000 cubic feet. They say that uh, it's roughly like 522 to 540 railroad cars full of sheep because right, they use sheep as an average size. Right? Each railroad car could hold roughly approximately 240 sheep-sized animals. And the reason they use sheep is um, the average size of a land animal is smaller than sheep, actually. So, so, so now there's two different theories about when God said he's bringing two of every kind of animal. Right? One of them is, is two of every family of animal. That's one of the theories. And the other is two of every species of animal. Right? So if the ark carried two of every family of animal, then there could have been roughly at the time they say 700 pairs of animals, which doesn't seem like a lot, but right? And if it was 200 two of every species of animal, then they say there could be around 35,000 pairs of animals on the ark. The ark could carry 136,560 sheep. Okay, in half its capacity, still leaving room for people, food, water, right, couch, entertainment system, everything else Noah needed on the ark to keep himself entertained. Actually, and they've not only have they proven that that's absolutely one hundred percent true based on the specifications that the Bible gives us about the ark, but they actually some scientists in Leicester, they not too long ago they actually. Took the, they took the, uh, the dimensions and they did all the math and they did a study and they determined that, yeah, that's actually 
underestimating how much the ark could actually hold. They said it can hold somewhere around 70,000 animals without sinking, easily. Right? So it can hold a lot. It's amazing how much it could hold. So the ark was big enough to do the job. And here's the thing. Until, I think it was after 1858, there was no boat that was ever built bigger than the ark. Until just over, you know, 150 years ago. So, so if you want to know kind of what the ark actually looked like, and this one isn't bad. I mean, the ark encounters ark is close, probably. I think it's a little has a little couple of flourishes. But if you want to know what the ark kind of looked like, a more realistic depiction, in my opinion, that's probably closer to what the ark looked like, right? It's more of just a box. It doesn't have the pointy ends and the little tails and all the little you know, flourishes that get put on the boat. It has the top part that's just a cube, you know, 18 inches above with the windows that run the full length of the ark. That's probably closer to what the ark looked like right there. So then when you start talking about the ark, people want to know, well, the Bible tells us where the ark ended up, right? I mean, we'll get there eventually when we were studying through Genesis, ended up on Mount Ararat. That's in Turkey. So has the ark ever been found? Right? Has the ark ever been found? And you start looking at historical records, and people will tell you, well, they've been searching for the ark. I mean, historical records will show you that they've been searching for the ark back to Eusebius of Caesarea, back to, you know, which is like 275 AD. They've been searching for the ark. And I'm going to tell you, they've been searching for the ark longer than that. Matter of fact, you can find records going back to 275 B.C. where you had uh, Barossus, who was a Babylonian historian, and he wrote that, but the ship that grounded in Armenia, some parts still remains in the mountains, and some get pitched from that ship by scraping it off. It's a reference to Noah's Ark. You can go all the way back to 275 B.C. and find that people were visiting the Ark, right, and getting stuff off it. Josephus wrote, and he was a Jewish historian, most of you know who he is, he wrote in 75 AD that locals collected relics from the ark and they showed them off. They displayed them to people. <clears throat> and he said almost every ancient historian knew of the ark. In 180 AD, Theophilus of Antioch, he wrote that the remains of the ark are to this day to be seen in the mountains. That's 180 AD. <clears throat> Marco Polo, in 1300, wrote about the ark. Right? He wrote in his book, The Travels of Marco Polo, that in the heart of the greater Armenia is a very high mountain shaped like a cube or a cup on which Noah's ark is rested. Right? It's called the Mountain of Noah's Ark, which is really kind of funny because it's almost called that today. It's not, li it's not literally called that. Right? It's called Mount Ararat. But that area where they think the ark is, where they the main... Uh, uh, area that they're excavating and working on, they actually call, uh, it's a national park now, and it's called Noah's Ark National Park. <laughs> That's what they call it, right? So anyway, so, and then, you, and then you just start traveling through history and looking at people's accounts of their travels, right? And you'll find that there was like an Armenian man uh, who moved to America, and he said that when he was a boy, he visited with the Ark with his father, so he's from that area, from the area as we know as Turkey. And when he was a boy, he visited that area with three scientists in 1856. Now, the purpose of them visiting it was to prove that the ark didn't exist. That's why they went there. However, they found the ark, <laughs> right? And they became so enraged, they tried to destroy the ark, because, but they couldn't. It was too big. It was petrified. They couldn't really do much to destroy the ark, right? And... Uh, one of those scientists actually in 1918 uh, verified the story and said, yes, it's true. That's what we tried to do. Right? Uh, 1876, James Bryce, he climbed Mount Ararat. He found a four-foot piece uh, of hand-tooled timber at an altitude of 13,000 feet. Probably from the ark. Right? Six Turkish cold soldiers, 1916, claimed they found the ark. 
1917, one of the most famous examples of people finding the ark was a Russian aviator named Vladimir Rovatsky, and he claimed that he found Noah's ark. He was stationed in southern Russia near the Turkish border and Mount Ararat, and he was testing a plane, and as he and his co-pilot flew over Ararat, they discovered on the edge of a glacier what he described as a boat the size of a battleship. Now, there's two different spots in Mount Ararat where they think the ark might be, right? I didn't bring the satellite pictures of the one area. They call it the Ararat anomaly. They can photograph it by satellite. Anyway, that's the area that he's referring to. He said it was partially submerged in the lake, and he could see that there was an opening for a door that was nearly 20 feet square. The door was missing. So he told his commanding officer an expedition was immediately dispatched to find the ark. They found it. They photographed it. It was forwarded to the czar, all the information that they did, all the photographs that they took, and then the czar was overthrown and everything disappeared. They couldn't find any of the photographs or the paperwork or, or anything. World War II, pilots saw the Ark on Mount Ararat uh, flying over the mountain. 1959, there was a Turkish army captain, uh, and, it was, and it was his discovery of what he thought was the Ark that was later investigated by Ron Wyatt and some of the others that have gone over there. Uh, and they, it looked like a boat formation was located in the mountains of Ararat. This is the one that most people focus on today. This is the one that you can go visit today if you go to Turkey. This is the one that's in the area that they call the Noah's Ark National Park, right? Um, but critics will tell you it's just a natural rock formation. Um, however, they've gone in there. They've done uh, advanced 3D scans of the ground. They've done, um, I don't want to say sonar, but radar uh, testing of the ground, and they have found that there seems to be an object that turns out to be almost the exact dimensions of Noah's Ark in the Bible. It seems to have three levels to it, like compartments, just as described in the Bible. When you start excavating the land, you find what? Fossilized wood in there. These ridges that they're finding, and they go in there and they dig them out. It's fossilized wood. They find metal also. And this is one of the things that probably a lot of people don't think of is the fact that metal was used in the building of the ark because metal existed at the time. Right? We know this from reading the Bible. They didn't like, it's not like they had metal beams and metal sides. I mean, the, wood was, was, the ark was made out of gopher wood. But nails, things like that, metal was used in the construction of the ark. And they found uh, you know, fossilized remnants of all these different things, metal shards, the whole bit. Um, and that this uh, formation just happens to look, you know, and follow and match the proportions of Noah's Ark in the Bible. And there's a quote that says, such parallel line and right angles below the surface is something you would not expect to see in a natural geological formation. But these results are what you would expect to see if this was a man-made boat matching the biblical requirements of Noah's Ark. Right? So they found all this thing, petrified wood, petrified timbers, metal, uh, anchor stones, which are kind of controversial, but they found these things that they consider anchor stones that are over there. You can find pictures of them online if you want. Um, but people will just tell you, no, it's a natural geographic formation. This is just part of the mountain range. Yes, it happens to look almost exactly like an arc, <laughs> you know, but it's just a natural thing. But, but yet they're finding all these all this evidence when they excavate and do all this. That area today is, though it's in Turkey, Turkey has handed the control of that area over to a local university, I believe, that's doing most of the excavation and archaeological work. And like I said, it's also a national state park. It's a tourist attraction. They have, you can't go to that specific spot and actually be right next to it. You can be about, I think they said 600 feet away or something as close as you can get, but you can look down on it and you can see the formation and everything like that if you go to Turkey. Um, I just, my question is, is this. What other object that size, that shape, made of wood, would be found on Mount Ararat? Is, is, is there an, another boat that ended up there that high in the mountains that we should be aware of? Because I'm not aware of one, right? So when they see all these things and they find all this stuff, it seems to me they're ignoring the obvious, right? Like they just don't want to admit it. Oh yeah, Noah's Ark is up here. We found, 
We've found pieces of Noah's Ark. It's quite possible it could be one of these two places. It could be both of these places. It could have split apart. Part of the Ark could have floated down over here. Part of it could be over here. It's a mountainous volcanic region. There's been a lot of earthquakes and stuff like that. The Ark possibly is not in the same exact spot it was when it landed. Right? It could have moved. All these different things. So there's been a lot more recent attempts to, to document the Ark, to to investigate it, but of course you've got politics involved and you're talking a different country. And, but Turkey is supposedly doing a huge expedition this year to examine that area even more thoroughly with more modern, modern equipment because Turkey believes the Ark is there. I mean, it's a big thing for Turkey. They want to find it because it means a lot of tourists and money for them. That's why they want to find it. And they're, like I said, they're doing a lot out of it because, like I said, it's the national park. In case you want to see what it looks like, um, this is what it looks like. Uh, they've built that ark in the national park on Mount Ararat. If you go to Mount Ararat, you will see an ark. That's it right there. That's the one Turkey built <laughs> in the national park. That's a little visitor center. You can see the, the door open on the other side. You can go in there and stuff like that. But that's not the actual spot where they think the ark is. That's just near it. That's about as close as you can get to it. But this is what the, the spot is, if you've never seen pictures of it. That's the spot right there that most people talk about. Now, it could or could not be. I don't have a clue. It's not the shape I would expect, okay? Because the ark, like I said, is really more of a box than a boat. That looks more like a boat than a box. But who knows? I mean, I don't have a clue because I really don't know what the ark looked like. I'm only going by, you know, the blueprints that are in the Bible, but this is the area, the most common area that they believe that the Ark is, or they've found uh, fossilized remains of the Ark. I didn't bring a picture of the other area that's slightly higher, more up into the snow and ice of the mountain that they call the Ararat um, Anomaly, which you can find satellite pictures of. Anyway, so if you go to Turkey, any of you heading to Turkey here soon, visit, right? So... All this stuff is fascinating, right? I mean, we all love the Ark. We all, it's all fascinating to, to find out oh, what those size and how much it could hold and how it was designed and what it looked like. It's all, it's all incredibly fascinating. But what does it mean? What does it mean to you, right? I mean, how do you apply the Ark to your life? Well, I think there's a few things. And the first one starts at the end of the chapter. End of chapter 6. And it says, Noah did this, right? He did all that God commanded him. The biggest thing that we can learn from Noah's ark is that Noah built the ark, okay? And we think, oh, okay, yeah, well, God told him to. Yeah, okay, God told him to. God told him to build a huge boat on dry land, right? God told him to build this boat, but I'm telling you, it probably seemed like a monumental, overwhelming task, right? And I would ask you, if God told you to build the ark, would you have done it? Would you have built the ark, right? I mean, from what we learned from Genesis, there's a couple of things we can, we can put into here. One is, there's no evidence that it had ever rained before, right? So, the idea of a boat on water, when they didn't travel that way, probably was a f completely foreign idea to Noah. The idea of a flood was a foreign idea to Noah. What? Right? I mean, Noah probably didn't even live near a body of water. I mean, we don't know how, how close he was to the coast or how far away he was from the coast. But he probably didn't even live near a body of water. I'm not sure he'd ever even seen an ocean. I'm convinced he probably hadn't. Right? I mean, how much land was there then as compared to water? We don't know. We know now, right? Now the earth is like, what, two-thirds water? Right? But, but Noah, we don't know at Noah's time. Here's the other thing. Was Noah even a builder? Right? Was Noah even a woodworker? I'm here to, I, my thought is that no, he wasn't even anywhere near that, right? My guess is he wasn't talented in building bolts 
at all. He probably knew how to build things. It was common for them. They probably, I mean, he probably had constructed his house or whatever else. But I'm thinking he wasn't, that probably wasn't his strong suit. Right? That's not what his talent was. I'm not even sure he knew what a boat was. I'm, you know, I'm reminded of that comedy sketch from, from someone who I'm not allowed to admit anymore or, you know, name anymore. Comedian you're not supposed to talk about. But in the comedy sketch, right, he has God talking to Noah. And he's like, Noah, yeah, it's God, Noah, right. Who is this really, right, if you've heard the sketch? He says, Noah, I want you to build an ark, right. What's an ark, right? And that's how the sketch goes. God's got to convince Noah to build it. Noah has no clue what he's talking about, right. What's a cubit, right? I mean, I want to build it by whatever cubit, by What's a cubit? God's like, well, I used to know what a cubit was. You can go find the comedy sketch if you want. I'm not a comedian. But here's the thing. God will often give us things to do that on our own, there would be no way we could ever accomplish it. Right? But with God. Right? Yeah. Yeah, right? The Lord gave Noah the blueprints. And then I'm sure he gave Noah the knowledge on how to build it, right? He taught Noah as Noah was building. Noah, that's a hammer, right? Noah, that's a nail or whatever. All right. He equips those. You've heard the phrase, he equips those he calls, right? right. He doesn't call the equipped. He equips those he calls. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 and 29 tells us, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in this world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring nothing to things that are, so that no human might boast in the presence of God. That's how God works. So I'm, I'm personally convinced that Noah had no clue what an ark was. The, the idea of a flood was probably baffling to Noah. Noah, I want you to build an ark. But the thing is, Noah built it. It may have seemed crazy. It may have seemed insurmountable. It may have seemed just absolutely flat out ridiculous, right? God, all my neighbors, what are they going to think? They're going to think you're crazy, Noah, right? But I'm bringing a flood. What's a flood? It's gonna, water's going to come up out of the ground and down from the sky, and I'm going to flood the entire earth. I don't know what that looks like. Right? I need you to build the ark. I don't know how to build an ark. I'm going to teach you how to build the ark. Right? Noah was given a staggering job, but when he was given the staggering job, what did he do? He did it. That's what the Bible tells us. We, didn't hear, we don't hear of Noah complaining. We don't hear of Noah rebelling. Right? We don't hear of Noah walking off the job. Right? He simply did it. He obeyed. He didn't shrink back from what God told him to do. Right? So I have to say, what has God asked of you? Right? What has God asked you to do that seems ridiculous and far-fetched and completely out of this world? Right? Antithetical, you could say, to the world in which we live and to the culture in which we live. Completely against it. What has he asked you to do? Why don't we just start simple? How about just standing up for your faith? Right? How about just standing on the truth of God's word? Standing up for the unborn, standing up for the sanctity of marriage, standing up for the truth concerning genders, right? That there are only two. Right? You don't have to be a biologist to know the difference. Standing up for the truth concerning Jesus and guess what? The return of Jesus. Right? Concerning Jesus and salvation. How about, has God asked you to stand up for the, I mean, has he asked you to stand up for the truth of those things? And then he's told you, don't worry that if the world hates you. Because guess what? They're gonna. Right? He says, don't worry about what the world will think. Don't worry about what your friends and family are gonna think. Don't worry about the fact that everyone's gonna try to say that you're certifiably insane. Right? And maybe try to put you away. You must be having a, a, a breakdown. Right? God's asked you to build an ark. Right? 
Don't worry about that. Just do it. Just do it. Just take that step of faith. Because when you take that step of faith, no matter how ridiculous it may seem, like, our, like building an ark on dry land, right? right? I, mean, I mean, figuratively, if God asks you to build an ark, build an ark. Literally, if God asks you to build an ark, call me. I'll come over with a hammer and we'll, we'll set up the cameras and I want to video, you know, the whole thing, right? But, but, right, whatever God asks of you, do it. Don't shrink back. Just do it, right? There's a quote by Spurgeon that says, it is said that if Noah's Ark had to be built by a company, they would not have laid the keel yet. And it may be so. What is many men's business is nobody's business. The greatest things are accomplished by individual men. Like Noah. Right? So be like Noah. According to all that God commanded him, he did it. So do it. What has God asked you to do? That seems absolutely ridiculous. What step of faith is God asking you to take? Where is God calling you? That right now you're like, no, I'm trying to reason this out. It makes absolutely no sense at all. It could be a complete failure. I don't know. I can't do this. God's like, just do it. Trust me. Right? Because the navigation is up to God. It's not up to you. The only thing that's required of you is to get on the ark. Right? It's to take that step of faith and, and follow God. Right? This is what it tells us in Hebrews eleven seven. It was by faith Noah, right, being warned by God about things he had not yet seen in reverence, prepared an ark for the salvation of his household. Right, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. Right, Noah's in the hall of faith because he built the ark. Right? He's not remembered for his doubts. He's not remembered for how many times he smashed his thumb with the hammer. Right? He's not even, or even the questions he had concerning the project, project because you bet he probably had questions. Right? He's not even remembered for his actions after the flood. And those weren't really great, Right? <clears throat> he's remembered as a hero of faith because he did what God asked him to do. Noah is an example of righteousness. He was a preacher of righteousness, as it tells us in 2 Peter. Right? He was offering salvation in the ark the entire time he worked on it, and everyone thought he was crazy. No one got on that ark except for Noah and his family. Right? Can you imagine that ministry? Talk about depressing. When ministries today in churches are built on numbers and response and, and, and you know, that's supposedly a sign of fruitfulness, well, I don't know. I look in the Bible, and what do I see for a sign of fruitfulness? Being faithful to God and not worrying about what happens on the other side of things. Noah was faithful. His life was fruitful because of it. God blessed Noah. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord because Noah... Right, had the faith to build an ark, and Noah had the faith to get on an ark, <laughs> right? which we haven't even really talked about yet. It's one thing to build it, it's another thing to get on it. Right? So Noah was an example of righteousness. So don't worry about other people. Don't worry about what they think, how they react, or even their lack of reaction. Because sometimes we're looking for reactions, we don't get it, and we're like, ooh, there was no reaction. I was expecting a reaction for that. There was no reaction. Don't worry about any of that stuff. Just be faithful to what God has called you to do. God will bless your steps and it will draw you closer to God because isn't that where you want to be? Closer to God? There were so many people when they approached Jesus and wanted to know what it takes to be, you know, to come into the kingdom of God or what it took to follow Jesus or to be a follower of Jesus. When Jesus gave them, right, okay, you want to know? You want to know what it means to be my disciple? You want to know what it means? This is what you need to do. Blah, blah, blah. Let me, let me list it out for you that their response was, I can't do that right now, right? I'm going to go back and, you know, and uh, tidy things up and settle some affairs and we'll see if I can get things in order and check my schedule and I'll be right back, right? And they never came back because we get so tied to these things of the world. We get so tied to, to worldly things and thinking, oh, I want things to be like this and I want things to go back to be like this. But guess what? It's not. It's not. 
And when we get tied to those things, we're not actually pulling ourselves away from God to a certain extent when we need to draw closer to him. And how, we, how do we draw closer to him? We be obedient and we do what he's asked. But sometimes those things seem so scary that we can't take that step. But God says, no, take that step, please. Because it's going to draw you closer to me. And then I'll take care of the rest. I'll take care of the rest. So, one more thing. I'm not done yet. Another thing you should understand. Because I, I honestly believe that it is not the time to be ignorant about these things. Right? And along with understanding this, also teach this. Right? Don't back down from this. Right? So you're like, understand what? Teach what? Judgment is coming. Right? Because of the sin and depravity of man. God's patient. However, there is a limit to man's wickedness in which God will put up with. Right? Judgment is coming. So we've talked about it, just like in the days of Noah. Right? And it tells us here in the chapter, in verse 11 and, and on, it says that the earth was corrupt in the sight of God. Right? It had gone to ruin and it spoiled. Right? God was looking towards the earth. The earth wasn't looking back towards God. Right? The earth was filled with violence. It was filled with cruelty. Sounds familiar? Yes. Right? It's the world in which we live in today. The world we live in today is provoking God to his face. Right? But it tells us in Isaiah 65, it's, it gives us this picture. It's, this is God. He's speaking. He says, I permitted myself to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I permitted myself to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here am I. Here am I. To a nation which did not call my name. I have spread out my hands all day long to a rebellious people who walk in a way which is not good following their own thoughts, a people who continually provoke me to my face. We need to remember those words. God is, he's right there. He's like, I'm continually all day long with my hands out to a, to a nation that's turned their back on me. Right? In Matthew 10, 32, Jesus puts it like this. He says, therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before fa the Father, right? Who is in heaven. But whoever denies me, I will also deny him before the Father who is in heaven. Don't think that I came to bring peace on earth. I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring the sword. Right? Judgment is coming. But here's the hope that we have, right? For those who are in Christ, we live under a promise, right? A promise of eternal life in Jesus. We're under a new covenant, okay? There's a glimpse of that here, a covenant right here in the chapter. Because it says in verse 18, the Lord says to Noah, I will establish my covenant with you, right? This is called the Noahic covenant, right? You don't, you probably, you know, the, no, uh, covenant theology, Okay? It's a way of breaking down the Bible, if you want. It's a, a framework for understanding the flow of the Bible. Covenant theology. So you have covenants that were made with Adam. You have covenants that were made with Noah. Covenants that are made with Abraham and, and Moses and David, etc. But we're under a new covenant. right? We're under the covenant with Jesus. And likewise, the cup after you have eaten, saying, this cup that is poured for you is the new covenant in my blood. That's the covenant we're under, the covenant with Jesus. We're promised eternal life through Jesus. Because we're under this new covenant. So just as Noah was promised by God salvation through the ark, right? you're promised salvation too through Jesus Christ. Right? And, it, and for us, it kind of plays out like this in Romans 8. It says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus the Lord. Right? So, so understanding that, Understanding that you're under this new covenant. Understanding that judgment's coming. What you can teach, what you can preach, even though you probably don't consider yourselves a preacher, right, is this. To people who are searching for hope, who are looking for Jesus, just tell them this, really simply. Listen, don't miss the boat, right? Don't miss the boat. Now is the time, right? Don't miss the opportunity. Don't be too slow to act tells us in Romans 13, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. To quote them Romans, listen, hour is time for you to wake up, right? Wake up, sleeper, as it says in Ephesians. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Salvation's coming. Salvation is here in Jesus. People need to know that Jesus is coming, 
right? Jesus is our atonement, right? So we need to put on the Lord Jesus Christ as it tells us in Romans. So why do I mention all this? Well, in verse 14, I just want to point this out here. In verse 14, when he's talking about the ark to Noah, he says, um, make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. Seems like a simple instruction. Cover the entire ark inside and out with pitch, right? But that word for pitch is kafar, and that word means atonement. It's the first use of the word atonement in the Bible, right? This pitch that they put on the ark provided a perfect covering for the ark that kept out the waters, right? That kept out the judgment, just as the blood of Christ provides a perfect atonement for us, right? Just as the blood of Christ, you could say, is a protective vessel for us. 1 Peter 2, 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Right? 1 John 2, 2, he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Right? Hebrews 9, 12, he entered for once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Even Revelations 5, 9, it tells us that by his blood, he ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, right? Jesus is our salvation. Jesus is. And that's what we can learn from Noah's Ark. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. And I pray, Lord, that you help us work this out and you help just, just stir this up in our hearts so that, Lord, that we can take these steps of faith that you're calling us to. Whatever it is that you're calling us to do, whether it is just to stand firm, just to stand up and speak, concerning the truth of the Word of God and not be uh, battered to and fro and not be blown left and right, but just to stand firm in our faith, Lord. If, or if you've called us to something even crazier, because that in itself is crazy enough to the world, but it's not to you. So I pray, Lord, whatever you call us to, whatever it might be, that we have the faith to stand up and do what you've asked, just as Noah did. I mean, even if you ask us to build an ark, figuratively speaking, no matter how crazy it is, we just pray, Lord, that we have the faith to do it, to follow you and do all that you asked of us. We pray, Lord, that you just continue to strengthen us to do just that and continue to point people to Jesus, the hope of salvation that is for them. The only hope that is, can be found is through Jesus. So we thank you for that. And we pray, Lord, that we can continue to be a light. We can continue to be preachers of righteousness to the truth of the gospel. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.